Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and a special shout-out to all of you naval aviators slash professional beach volleyball players. Welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. The week of Mark continues because this is a bonus episode that, look, we told Jacqueline Coley we're going to do this episode. So we're not, we're not trying to cut anybody out of anything. She is just still enjoying a well-deserved, much-needed break from all of this movie madness as she gears up for award season next year, and she's at film festivals probably right now. We get to talk about a beloved classic today. Yeah, we had Return of the Jedi yesterday, and that's my favorite movie of all time. In a close race, for this one's probably in my top 10, at least my top 10 most seen movies of all time, and that would, of course, be the 1986 classic Top Gun. Tom Cruise, Val Kilmer, Kelly McGillis, Anthony Edwards, for a little bit Meg Ryan. What a classic film featuring a lot of F-14s a ton of Kenny Loggins and a bunch of great action and romance and heartache and victory and all that good stuff that you love in just a a balls out adventure action packed flick directed by Tony Scott. We're talking about that and you can hear the excitement in my voice, but the tomato meter just sometimes it likes to rain on parades and that's what's happening right now. 57% rotten. It's close to fresh. Fresh would be 60%. It's fresh adjacent, but it is a rotten film according to the tomato meter. The good news is it's 83% on the audience score, so there's some measure of redemption there. I think we're going to get a little more today because we're all excited about the new film, Top Gun Maverick, finally in theaters later on this month. And this is a movie that we've really been waiting for since we saw the first one, but more particularly, the last couple of years, it's had a lot of release dates, and then due to the nature of the world, it's moved off of those, and now we finally get to see it in all its glory, Memorial Day weekend. Speaking of glory... Speaking of, well, these guys probably enjoy their weekends too. Our guests today are the action guys. One half of the action guys is also an incredible musician, and you know him from his podcast exploits, as well as being one of the great movie trivia schmodown minds I've ever witnessed in my time. Ben Bateman is here. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me, Mr. Ellis. This episode is a special one, my friend. I mean, let's be honest. We, we ripped off the Top Gun logo for our logo. This, there's no, no more fitting place to be for the action guys than talking about Top Gun. And uh, I am I'm thrilled the, to be here. 
80s had a lot of great logos, and Top Gun is right up there with the best of the bunch. Uh, Speaking of the best, you wanted the best, you got the best. You can't have Mav without Goose. You can't have Goose without Mav. And so he's the other half of the action guys. You know him from his podcast, Exploits. He's a very talented actor with a couple films in the can currently. He also is the best announcer in the history of the movie trivia showdown, Andrew Guy, look at this. We're, we're back, buddy. And you have a yeah, very, what's up, um, man? you have a very fervent love for Top Gun that is evident if you're watching us right now. Yeah, it's one of <laughs> one of those things. Top Gun is a movie that I it took me a long time to love, I think, as much as I do now. I love Tom Cruise. I love Tony Scott. I absolutely adore Val Kilmer. So everything about this movie, it on paper, it seemed like it should be my favorite movie of all time. I think maybe just because it came out before I was born and it took me a few years to to really fall in love with it. My love now for Top Gun is so full throttle. I, I won't do that anymore. <laughs> I promise that'll be the last one. I don't mind the puns. I, I just mind the the pointing out right off the bat that, oh, well, this was before I was born. So we get it. You're still in your prime. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm 23 years old, Ellis, but I'm still really excited about living in Hollywood. And God, he looks good. So I also want to bring in Producy Lucy just right now, because Lucy, this is a movie that you know, you, I was very excited to talk about this movie, really since the inception of our show, Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, and finding out that this is a movie that's rotten on the tomato meter. Do you have a strong, you don't have to give it away now, but do you have a strong opinion one way or the other on Top Gun, or is it just a dude movie, which is why we have dudes talking about it? No, this is, this is a movie for all peoples. All peoples everywhere throughout all time. This movie transcends space and time. It, it sounds like your household wow. enjoys the film as well. Everybody it does. <laughs> They're very loud. <laughs> Lucy's Mansion getting very, very excited about it. So Top Gun, if you don't know, we're going to spoil the movie. And there's a part in the middle that I still get yelled at by younger fans saying, how could you ruin that part of the movie? We're going to do it. We're going to do it here today. Top Gun is the story of Lieutenant Pete Mitchell, call sign Maverick, his best bud Goose, and a whole bunch of other fighter pilots who go to Top gun because they're the best of the best they're training to be the ultimate naval aviators and along side of them is going to be val kilmer you get rick rosovic you get Wib hubley you get barry tub i remember most of the names and then you have tom scarrett michael ironside as their instructors and of course charlie is the call sign of the civilian but she's like the civilian gets to look at all the classified stuff played by kelly mcgillis they love they lose and they end up winning it all at the end of the day except not everybody's along for the entire ride hence the dog tag throw that still gets me emotional to this very day so the question is this gentlemen starting with you andrew simply put is rotten tomatoes wrong about top gun with that 57 percent so Rotten Tomatoes is 150% wrong on this. I mean, 57% is insulting. It, 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 that means that over half the people that went and saw this movie, they were on the fence about whether they liked it or not with it leaning towards maybe that one person being like, yeah, I guess it was okay. Like 57% is an insulting number for a lot of really bad films out there. To put Top Gun there is just, it's it's, it's shocking. Like uh, when I went and saw the numbers, I, I couldn't believe it. This movie is at least, at the very least, a 78%, probably pushing to 84, in my opinion. Okay, going from 78 to 84. Ironically, those are the years that David Lee Roth was in Van Halen. Uh, let's go to Ben Bateman. You, I believe, feel the same way as Andrew, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Ben, this is your platform and a safe space to express yourself, and particularly your feelings about Top Gun. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? 
It is absolutely wrong. I think Top Gun exists as kind of a cartoon time capsule of what an 80s action movie is supposed to look like. And ironically, I think Tony Scott ended up taking a lot of the feeling and the vibe where it's so, so shiny and so polished. It's almost too much, but it's not. It's like the sweetest candy that you can just stomach eating. That's like what his career ended up being. And I think this is the earliest version of that. So for me, the more times I watch it, the more years that pass, the more times I listen to that beautiful Loverboy track on the soundtrack, uh, the more I'm just convinced that this movie is like the pinnacle of 80s action movies. It's different than Predator. It's a totally different vibe. But they both sort of fit, you know, in the, the crown, that crown space. I, I'd put this close to 90. Personally. All right. So to uh, to paraphrase Ben Bateman, this movie is heaven in your eyes. And it really is for all of us, because we are going to be talking about that exquisite soundtrack, the the amazing direction by Tony Scott. This is biggest movie ever. And Tony Scott has done. Uh, he's he's the action guy. As far as I'm concerned, y'all are doing a great job carrying his torch. But Tony Scott is the action guy because every one of his action movies just is a thrill ride nonstop. This in my humble opinion, is the best of the bunch. So we're going to talk about all of these things. We're going to maybe do some quotes. We might do a little bit of singing. There's going to be a lot of fun here as we celebrate Top Gun in anticipation of Top Gun Maverick. But before we think about the future, we're going to take a look back to the past with our dear friend Tim Ryan, our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes, for his segment that's going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time in 1986 of Top Gun's release. Two Minutes with Tim. Plenty of movies emphasize style over substance, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And even the biggest fans would probably admit that Top Gun could be described that way. But if it's a question of whether Top Gun is a case of style carrying the day or substance bringing the whole thing down to earth, reviewers were largely split. By and large, the critics felt that while the aerial sequences were undeniably exhilarating, character development was in decidedly short supply. Top Gun is rotten at 57% on the tomato meter with 63 reviews, but it does have an 83% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, The dogfights are absolutely the best since Clint Eastwood's electrifying aerial scenes in Firefox. But look out for the scenes where people talk to one another. However, in a fresh review, Harper Barnes of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch wrote, If you like airplane movies, Top Gun is about one-third of a dazzler, and the rest is at least watchable. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, though it features some of the most memorable and electrifying aerial footage shot with an expert eye for action, Top Gun offers too little for non-adolescent viewers to chew on when its characters aren't in the air. So that's Top Gun. Let's kick it back to Mark, who feels the need, the need for podcasting. Back to you. You're damn right I do, Tim, and and now, now you really got me. If I was just like Mav at the end of Top Gun, sitting on the tarmac waiting to possibly have to take off and get into the dogfight, now I'm in there. I'm fired up after these, these critical barbs that were lobbed against Top Gun at the time. You can never tell how a movie is going to have staying power decades and decades upon its, its release thereafter, but Top Gun, I feel like it's one of those movies, do the boys agree, does Lucy agree, do you agree out there in the world? We're going to get in to all that right now with Movie Talk. All right, right out of the gate, before we even get into your favorite characters, your favorite scenes, have Ben Bateman and Andrew Guy ever teamed up on a beach to play volleyball together? <laughs> ben, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, that's a question I'm going to 
I'm going to swing back around and answer that one later in the show, Ellis. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, Drew is, Drew is set We've, up. For, uh, for made a couple one. trips out to the court. <laughs> I love playing beach volleyball. I prefer beach volleyball. Two on two beach volleyball is very tough to pull off. But if it's like a team, if you have like the six on each side, then I feel like I'm in my comfort zone. But two on two, that puts a lot of pressure on each individual. And I am not a pilot of an F-14. I think I'd be able to handle it. Yeah, it's a, I mean, six on six, a lot of baby oil on the court there. The two on two, you're able to just take care of each other, take care of the court. <laughs> it, it's it's a lot more fun that way. It really is an enjoyable experience watching this movie start to finish. And I, I love the way that this movie, it kicks off with a bang because we get to see some aerial high-flying acrobatics with the plane literally going inverted within the first five minutes of this movie. And then that's when we find out that despite the apprehension of some of the brass, Goose and Maverick, because Cougar washed out, are going to be sent to Miramar, California, just north of San Diego, to go to Top Gun. And from there, our adventure ensues. So, Ben Babin, I'll put the question to you first. If you have to pick just one scene in all of Top Gun, and it can be spoiler heavy, it could be whatever scene you feel like, beginning, middle, or end, what is your favorite Top Gun part? It is such a tough question to answer, Mr. Ellis. I, I feel like I, I'm split between two because there's there's the good stuff in Top Gun, which is like the fist pump action stuff, and then there's also the stuff that's so insanely over the top, like the <laughs> campiest absurd stuff. So I'm going to go with one of the good ones. I'll swing back around the other one maybe in another okay. segment. I, I think I got to go with You Never Close Your Eyes, the song in the bar. Um, I think there's just something about it that's just so ridiculous, over the top, uh, memorable. Like, you feel the camaraderie. It's just great. Tom Cruise is a bad singer. He has He's to horrible. Actively... It's yeah. shockingly bad. <laughs> but I think that's the point, right? I think it's the same yeah. thing that happens when they when he, they have him do it in Jerry Maguire years later. They, they're like, you have to sing badly. That's the point here. And I think he does, and it's so charming. Um, I don't know. I, there's like almost no more obnoxious, arrogant character in the history of cinema than Pete Mitchell. He he kind of just defines that. And the arrogance to pull that move in a bar with all the support. It I don't know. And then with Goose, he stops him. It's just so good. I'll never get over that scene. It's I think it's my favorite in the movie. Excuse me, miss. Hey, hey, hey. Don't worry, I'll take care of this. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips there's no tenderness like before in your fingertips you're trying hard not to show it baby but baby believe me i know it the support is yeah. what really wins me over in that scene andrew it's because like, like we know that mab and goose have done this trick in the bar when he's yeah. trying to impress uh, in this case kelly mcgillis he doesn't realize at the time that she's on a date with an older guy um and the whole team the, the whole all the naval who are in insane competition trying to get their name on the wall to be the best of the best pilots they're all singing along but you don't see Iceman singing and, and that's the difference i think between the arrogance of Iceman versus maverick maverick is not only arrogant in his own abilities he thinks he's a uniter he thinks he can get everybody involved on the same team Iceman, cool calculated calm he knows he's the best but he's not going to try to get anybody else up to his level 
Yeah, he's not going to stoop down to the level of singing this absurd song in a bar. He's already the people come to Iceman. He just sits back with his vodkas on on the rocks. I think is what everyone was drinking in that scene was just like vodka straight on the rocks. Yeah, these are uh, pilots, yeah. the most precision aviators in the world. They just drink straight vodka. That's definitely they're a like good, having a the conversation combo. between Goose and Maverick and Iceman, and they're just like taking a shot every ten seconds. It's it's pretty impressive. Uh, you know that I do, you know that. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, you know that Iceman's sitting there looking at Maverick the whole time, and he's mm -hmm. like, I'd never do it because I'm too cool. But you know that in his mind, he's like, God, I wish I could be that cool. I wish I could do it, but I got my brand. He's got his. I can't do that thing that he's doing. And that's a pivotal scene because we, we see the matchup, the one-on-one -on -one between Maverick and Iceman. We see the one-on-one -on -one of Rios, which is the pilot who is sitting right behind the pilot. It's it's like your backup that's right there that, that does all the uh, more technical stuff and is probably worried about uh, your, your your how much gas you have left. I've never flown a jet, if in case you all can't tell. And you really? have Goose versus Slider there, and they square off for a little bit. So that really sets the table as far as the game goes, as far as who is going to be on top. Who's going to come out of this with the real Top Gun attitude? Andrew Guy, if I take you out of that bar and I put you in any other scene in this movie, what's your favorite? It's the next scene. It's the morning after when they're there on the base and Charlie <laughs> shows up and she gets introduced and Maverick like slinks down in his chair and puts on the shades. He like doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be acknowledged. But then, of course, because he is Maverick, because he has the biggest ego in the room, the moment that one thing is said that is incorrect in his mind, his whole uh, monologue about the MiG and flying next to it and going upside down and watching it do an inverted dive and all that stuff is is so good because there is so much like tension between him and McGillis, him and Charlie there, but she's like intrigued by what's happening. I just think it's it's one of the best scenes in the movie when you talk about how it's acted and the way it kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, but you're also like, man, he, he really is an awesome pilot. Like he knows more than she knows and she has the clearance for everything. I just, I just love that scene because it, it like, it's the power dynamic continuing from the night before at the bar. Excuse me, Lieutenant. Is there something wrong? Yes, ma'am. The data on the MiG is inaccurate. How's that, Lieutenant? Well, I just happened to see a MiG-28... We... Do... We... Sorry, Goose. We happened to see a MiG-28 do a 4G negative dive. Where did you see this? That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Lieutenant. I have top-secret clearance. The Pentagon sees to it that I know more than you. Well, ma'am, it doesn't seem so in this case now, does it? Yeah, Map knows everything about about flying a plane. He he maybe have a little catch up to do as far as the dating and relationship advice goes because it's such a great juxtaposition of seeing him hit on her with absolutely no luck at the bar the night before, and then she ends up being the instructor the next day, and the look <laughs> that Goose gives. To, because he recognizes her from the bar, then he's looking over at Mav, and he's, Goose is having a great time <laughs> in that morning meeting, even though, like you all pointed out, every one of those pilots must be insanely hungover. And then, oh, it's casual. <laughs> you know, I'm hungover. I can go to Dunkin' Donuts. These guys are hungover, and they're flying jets, which is sort of a shocking moment here in the history of RT is Wrong that neither one of y'all picked an actual aerial combat scene. I love the training hops that they take, but that's where this movie... It does get a little tough to rewatch time and time again simply because I know what's coming. And so I hate seeing the, the the training sequence where Goose ends up meeting his demise. The one before that, 
where it is set to the instrumentation of Cheap Trick's Mighty Wings, which is a very underrated song on that soundtrack. It might be the best song in the whole soundtrack. I love that because that's when we get to see how good everybody is, but also how incredible the instructors are, how great Michael Ironside's gesture is, and how great Tom Skerritt, close personal friend of mine's, Viper is. And so getting getting to see all of those elements in play one of my favorites. And then we build up to this incredible climax where Goose dies and Mav couldn't save him. And Mav is beating himself up. And we get a pep talk from Viper at Viper's house. That's another one. And Ben, this might go more towards your like, favorite campy scenes in the movie. <laughs> I love, love, love the scene where Mav goes. And we don't know why he's going to Viper's house. Maybe he wants to quit. Maybe he, he just wants a pep talk from his coach. But he's greeted at the door by Viper's wife. And Viper's wife calls him Maverick. And I'm like, this is hysterical. That these, <laughs> these call signs extend to immediate family members. Like, I bet Viper's wife has not called him by his actual name in 30 years. I bet he makes his family members refer to him as Viper and refer to all of his students as their call signs. Well, hi, Maverick. Come on in. Hi, Maverick. Hi, Maverick. How are you doing? Good. Yeah. Sure. You sure you're feeling OK? Fine. Great. Jamie, come on. Can I get you a drink or... No, thank you. Like okay, well, why don't you just... Uh, thank you very much. Make yourself comfortable because Mike will be right down, okay? Great, thank you. Ben, am I seeing this... Am I looking too deep into this? No, I think you're dead right. Uh, I know I know that there, the story goes that, you know, Kilmer was referred to as Iceman in every airport for 36 years by every pilot that he ever met. I mean, like, these, these are nicknames that went beyond the movie, and I think we could all be so lucky. I mean... I, you know, you mentioned the movie Trivia Schmode on Ellis. I, if, if someday I, I'm walking through the airport in 20 years and some random person calls me boss, I mean, I'll know I did something right. And that's only, you know, just a, just an ounce, just an ounce of what these men got to experience in the film. So I, I don't think you're wrong about that at all. Yeah. Choose your nicknames wisely, because I guarantee you in 20 years, I'll be walking through an airport and a bunch of people are going to shout baby carrots at me and probably <laughs> throw a couple of vegetables my way. Um, Andrew, do you have a uh, an alternative scene that sort of harkens to what Ben was talking about, where it's like, eh, maybe it can be read that it is over the top, but you enjoy it nonetheless? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's the beach volleyball scene, right? Like, it's incredible. It it's absolutely incredible and it goes like it's the greatest back to back to back song because it's playing with the boys and then it goes to take my breath away and then you get sitting on the dock of the bay and then it goes back to take my breath away uh it doesn't really get much better than that like five to ten minutes of film watching and then the fact that tony scott referred to it he's like got a bunch of hot dudes i want to shoot a soft porn for this one scene to show them off it's just incredible because no matter what when you go and you watch that scene no matter how much you like this movie or dislike this movie you have to stop and you have to watch that's that's all there is to it (sighs) the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to carvana it doesn't get any better than this your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You do. We watched this movie. Um, this was one of those college movies that every group of college folk have their go-to movies and for a lot and for us too it was like Days and confused and the big lebowski and tombstone was a big one but top gun made it into the rotation especially freshman year because we actually had a sand volleyball pit right outside of our dorm and so there were a lot of attempts to be (laughs) slider and ice and goose and mav and uh, according to the, the the mythology tony scott wanted to do that scene and they just trucked in a bunch of sand they dumped it they built a volleyball court and they knocked that scene out in one day the thing that bums me out is that apparently like when, when the, the far away shots the wide shots when they're actually you know playing decent volleyball those are stunt doubles those are professional <laughs> volleyball players that look like our four lads that we're rooting for or against in this movie but nothing beats this scene during this volleyball sequence, Ben, where we get to see Rick Rosovic just go full flex as slider oh, for dude. no reason in particular. <laughs> he just loves posing in baby oil. It's the best. My question to you, Mr. Ellis, is uh, when you did your volleyball sequences, did you also wear jeans like Tom Cruise? Because it is the most uncomfortable. I think about what must have been going on covered in sweat in a t-shirt with a leather jacket and sand and ass tight jeans after playing volleyball. I was like, it like makes me uncomfortable to think about walking to someone's home in that state, which of course is the point, of course. But like every time I watch it, I'm just like, there's just what, who wears jeans? And especially those jeans. The better question, and to answer yours, no, I never played in jeans, but I did have a pair of sweatpants that I cut off mid-shin, and we refer to them as sweat shants, a mix between shorts and pants, because I wanted to look like Slider, and at least my sweatpants did. The rest of me, not so much. Andrew, you ever been on a date where you came right from an athletic competition and you still had you know, sand in all of those parts downstairs? <laughs> I, I think more about like when I used to go to my barber after the gym and, and that he didn't ever tell me to stop coming. I've been going to him like six years and finally a couple years ago, I was like, this poor guy, he's never said a thing. I come in there, my hair is like wet from from being at the gym. And uh, that's probably the closest it's come. Dates, I usually try to, uh, you know, shower beforehand instead of showing up at their house and then being like, oh, you're going to finish cooking dinner? I'm just going to go shower in your bathroom now. By the way, nice to be at your house for the very first time. Thanks for having me over. It's such a weird thing that they throw in there. But I guess to Ben's point, you're watching it and you're like, oh. He just came straight from the volleyball court. We we have to acknowledge this in the film. It has to be put in the script that he wants to shower. I think that's I think that's part of the thing that works so well about the scene. It's agreed, but I think there's also this weird thing with Tom Cruise where like if you've watched enough of his movies, he feels kind of like a space alien a lot of the time. Like he doesn't actually live in the real world and do real people things. <laughs> so like Tom Cruise understanding how to go on a date, Tom Cruise throwing a baseball. These are many things we've seen in movies where you're like, I don't think that's really I don't think you've ever thrown a baseball. Have you ever gone on a date actually before? I don't know. Well, I mean, look, I haven't been on many dates myself, but I will tell you, I'm always trying to be prim and proper and clean and showered and all that stuff when I go on a date. However, I think that this works perfectly in the movie. And I want to ask producer Lucy this question too, because Tom Cruise's Maverick is so insanely confident. The guy literally flies a billion dollar jet for a job and he does it just about as well as anybody ever has. And so of course he would have that confidence that I can just show up 
to Charlie's house and we're going to hook up and I don't need to shower. I can wear jeans playing volleyball and I'll be great at it. Like this guy has irrational confidence, not just in flying, not just in riding his Kawasaki at insane speeds. He believes in this in this version of himself in every facet of his life. So, Lucy, the question is this. How well does that scene transition from volleyball to him at Charlie's house and the makeout scene to Berlin's Take My Breath Away? How well does that still hold up for, for the fairer sex? Because I think it works tremendously. It works tremendously because they're, they're greasing the wheels, so to speak. They're getting you ready, getting all the ladies ready with all those hot, yeah. greasy men on the, on the beach. What I love, it's kind of a twist on what usually happens. It's usually the women are all in their little bikinis greased up. So it's nice to get eye candy for the other sex, I think. And so I think it's a perfect transition into when he meets with Charlie. Take my breath away. It's just And you see, it, it's like the shadows and you see like the tongues touch and it's like that's how you yes. French kiss. I've never I've never heard of that. It's just there's something so unrealistic about all of it. Um because if my husband came home from a greasy, like and they had greased themselves on the volleyball court and then it was all sandy, I'd be like, no, that's, that's not happening. But it, for some reason, it works in this movie. I love it. I think it's I've, really great. I've never attempted the Top Gun uh, level. No, I have attempted. I've never landed it, so to speak. So like, it, like you know, it's it's not TMI. Been kissing a girl one time and, and you go for the Top Gun thing and it's like, she immediately pulls you back into her face and is like, no, kiss me. It, what you're doing is attempting to lick. And, and yes. I'm, not a, I'm not a Tootsie Pop. We're not seeing how long it takes me to get to the center. It's an actual kiss. And so use your lips more than the tongue, yes. fellas. That's no, just a nice little PSA yeah, for everybody. Don't do what the movies teach you about any of that. It's all fake. It's it just do what feels like normal and right. But don't take any advice from Tom Cruise. It's weird. He Tom doesn't Andrew, things. Tom Cruise yeah. improvised that one. That's what the research says. He's like, I'm going to go in with one. just my tongue. <laughs> Respond accordingly. Are, if you all had yeah. to pick a, a favorite character in here, is is it so obvious that it's Maverick and then I have to take him off the board? Or if you're having a fantasy draft and you're looking at the board and you have the number one pick, are you all both taking Maverick or is there a wild card somewhere in there? Just to touch on your his like audacious self-confidence, the walking yeah. in the ladies' room moment for me, like <laughs> earlier in the movie, I'm I mean, like, really? And we're just okay with it. I mean, hey, when you got game, creepy. you got game, Maverick. <laughs> It's just insane uh, confidence. But to answer your question, uh, I said it in the intro. I absolutely adore Val Kilmer. And I think that he did a really good job of being like incredibly hateable until he's not. Because there's the moment, obviously, where Goose meets his demise. And it feels like as an audience member, you kind of want to be mad at Iceman. You kind of want to blame That's him. That's why I'm mad It's at his it. fault, right? Like, and, and the fact that it's never brought up past that is really shocking to me. But I think it's important because I, I don't think he becomes redeemable if you see Maverick blame him for the death. And then he kind of just like, whether he owns it or doesn't own it, I think it's just like not a good trajectory for his character. But the fact that I like Val Kilmer by the end of this and that you have that great back and forth with them as the last couple lines of the movie. And then earlier on in the movie, he's just like talking with his teeth a lot and like biting at people and, and smiling more than you want him to. Uh, it's all Val Kilmer for me. And then Tom Skerritt in a close second. But I'm a, I'm a big Iceman fan. Ben, I, I literally have never had this thought. I'm sure a bunch of articles have been written comparing these two characters, but something about Andrew's talking, or maybe it was me not paying attention to him as I frequently do on the Schmodown, <laughs> is I would say Val Kilmer is, Iceman, is the American Ivan Drago because 
same haircut, Ooh. you know, same chiseled look, great yeah. chin, blonde, great chin. but at the end, killed your and, best and, friend. <laughs> the best friend, and, and so like you, you sort of have a lot of correlation here. But by the end, obviously, we get that great moment where they do embrace and and I wonder if they did have like a come to Jesus talk about, hey, look, it, it was neither one of our faults. It was just that's what happens when you're training. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are some definite similarities there, Ellis. And I think that, you know, some of those some of those archetypes that we've seen throughout 80s films, there's a reason they're similar. You know, that's what the that's what the masses wanted. Those movies are only one year apart. It's not surprising. Those can you guys can you imagine if we did get the come to Jesus moment between Rocky and Drago in a later movie, though. I mean, like, obviously, obviously, we didn't get that in Creed 2 and they cut the scene where those guys fight in the hospital. But I just would love to see those guys somehow like on an action mission together at this point. They could still do it. They could still do it. Well, we get the Expendables. You know, we, we, we get to see them. Yeah. We get to pretend. When I'm watching an Expendables movie and it's Sly and it's Dolph, I'm just pretending it's Rocky and Drago and they patch things up and right, the government right. goes to Rocky Balboa with his 30,000 concussions and his age 80 and they're like, hey, you're the only one for this mission. We're going to pair you with the transporter guy and you bring a bunch of your friends and you go get this person out of this scary situation. Um, you can't not talk about Top Gun without bringing up a couple of different things, but the soundtrack is mm. a legendarily great and top. It's one of the top selling movie soundtracks of all time. It's since been passed by The Bodyguard and by Titanic, but those might be the, the, still the top two. It, you got some Disney ones that I'm sure are way up there, but this is a platinum selling album. What's the best cut off of Top Gun? Is it, in fact, Danger Zone? Ben Bateman to you first. I'm going to jump in here first, Ellis. Uh, yeah, well, he you, said you, you could go first. I was just that excited, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. There's two O's in Goose, boys. I've got, I've, got, I've got this soundtrack. I have the CD of this soundtrack, and I don't even have a CD player, and it's still with me here in Los Angeles. I brought it with me. I enjoy the soundtrack so very much. Obviously, the two Loggins tracks are incredible. I mentioned the Loverboy track, Heaven in Your Eyes, and you already called out Mighty Wings. I, I don't yes. even know where you start. I think probably over the years... The one that I have found myself singing the most times is Loverboy, Heaven in Your Eyes, because it represents all of those all of those 80s, 90s things about like Bolton songs that are just so fun to sing. And especially because I like to sing. So it's a great shower song. And you're um, very good at it. I appreciate that. Thank you. No, I, I love that one. I, I do think probably if we're going to go with one of the more popular tracks, you, you got to go playing with the boys. That's like. It's it's I mean, it's the volleyball song. It's so good. But if I had to pick just one, it would be you've, you've said that rise. three times. <laughs> You're going to take all of my songs. Andrew, I, th I think he's sticking with Loverboy here, which Lover opens going the okay. door very wide for Andrew Guy to come in here. Uh, I mean, I'm 100 percent going take my breath away, whether it's Lucy singing it or on the soundtrack. Uh, I'm very OK <laughs> with both of them. It's just incredible. I, I it, and then like the fact that that song came from the movie. I mean, what could I mean, that's almost the best thing about Top Gun, almost. But the, the that's story it, goes, uh, Lucy, that that Berlin, the band, was approached by the producers and given the option: do they want to tackle Danger Zone or take my breath away? And they were hoping <laughs> that they were going to take Danger Zone. And so Berlin is like, oh, no, take my breath away. That's us. That's we, we kiss with just tongues over here all the time. That is what <laughs> they said they wanted to do. And so then they're like, oh, I guess we got to scramble. And so then enter Kenny Loggins, the king of 1980 soundtracks. And then you get Danger Zone. Does Producey Lucy stick with Andrew Guy's pick of take my breath away for the best cut off of the Top Gun soundtrack? I mean... 
the the smart part of my brain is like, yeah, but <laughs> I'm also an Archer fan. And that's actually where I first heard when because Archer, the character, the animated adult show, he's always like, Danger Zone. <laughs> I that's the first time I ever heard it because I saw Top Gun as an adult. I'm obsessed with Danger Zone. I think it's the great. I didn't know it was a real song, and I didn't understand that Archer <laughs> loves Top Gun and wants to be Tom Cruise in that movie. So when I finally watched the film and I heard it, I was like, wait, it's a real song. This is awesome. I love Danger Zone. It, it, it's the best way to kick the movie off, and then we get little hints of it sprinkled in throughout. Let's not forget about, I know it wasn't written for the movie. Let's not forget about how great the Righteous Brothers are, closing the thing out. Oh, if yeah. you've lost that love and feeling. They sing it a little better. I think Bill Medley's voice a little bit better than Tom Cruise's, at least before Tom Cruise became Stacey Jacks. But look, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm friends with all of you. You're missing the boat here. It's simple. And the answer is Harold Faltermeyer composing and Steve Stevens shredding that guitar for the Top Gun anthem. I have no idea why people say this is something of its time. This to me is an all time great guitar track. I still put it on more often than not. If I do anything that is successful, if I accomplish a task, which isn't a lot, I crank out. And, and it's a great song to, to finish your run to. If you're running and you're listening to your, to your oh, pump-up yeah. music, you close with that sprint to the Top Gun anthem. It just elevates it a notch. I don't think it's dated. I don't think it's of its time. Am I wrong here, gentlemen? <laughs> it's not dated. You are correct, Mr. No, Ellis. no. It's high. I mean, it's amazing. The moment that it starts playing, when the movie starts, you're like, all right, here we go. We're, we're, we're ready to go. And, it, and they like remind you of it throughout the movie. It's, uh, it's incredible. I, I agree. It's a great workout song. I think my favorite uh, story of any song from this album is actually that when you were calling a match early on in the movie trivia showdown, and Andrew and I thought it would be very funny to bring our mothers to set. Oh yeah, <laughs> we entered the match and we had "Take My Breath Away" as our entry song, and we were playing characters, and you were like, "Great, great entry by these gentlemen who are playing a song that Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis make love to in the film." Kind of strange, and <laughs> weird to be walking like... <laughs> out with their moms, but all right, it's like one of the funnier comments you've ever made. I remember watching it back and being like, ah, he totally got us on that one. That's pretty <laughs> great. All it's I'm not saying weird is, at all. like, <laughs> if you're at a wedding and they do it now, and now the father and daughter are going to have their dance, and it's to take my breath away. You may just want to slowly back away from that reception, <laughs> and because you don't know what shenanigans are going to ensue from there. Like I said, the soundtrack is uh, multi-platinum, over uh, 10 million units sold worldwide. But it wasn't just the soundtrack that moved a lot of copies. Top Gun was the first film that came out on an affordable VHS. Because back in the day, kids, you see, we used to have these things called Blockbuster and Hollywood Video and For Me and Williamsburg Video Update. And the actual video cassettes, unless you wanted to tape it on a blank tape off a TV, the video cassettes to buy a movie were like 90 bucks. Because if they made them affordable, then maybe video stores start panicking that they're going to be put out of business. Top Gun came out and they struck a deal with Pepsi. So Pepsi agreed that they put a commercial on the front of Top Gun. So you had to sit through a 30-second Pepsi commercial, easy peasy, and then Top Gun starts, and that was the first affordable VHS, and it cost like 27 bucks, I think, which is a price that I think we would all happily pay back then for a VHS copy of Top Gun, and it sold record numbers, Ray-Bans, the Kawasaki motorcycle, so much from this movie that we still have today, and now we have a new movie to get excited about, and I want to talk to you all about the Top Gun Maverick of it all, uh, how pumped we are for this movie finally coming out. But before we get to the film that Joseph Kaczynski directs, let's talk about Tony Scott. And I said he's he maybe the greatest action director I've ever seen. 
What is it about Tony Scott that his style lends itself so well to a movie like this that at times is supposed to be over the top and, as Andrew, you would say, full throttle? Tony Scott is a favorite director of mine and Ben's. We've talked about all of his movies at length. Um, Top Gun is so interesting because it's like before a lot of the movies that I kind of fell in love with Tony Scott. It's like a retrospective look at it. And when you watch Top Gun, there's so many Tony Scott isms throughout it, whether it's the writing on the screen, whether it's the color grading, whether it's like giving it that little blur effect on the camera or how everyone is so sweaty always. Like if you are on a <laughs> ship in a Tony Scott movie, you are always covered in sweat. There's so many great things about this. And, and, and honestly, when you look at Tony Scott's films, other than maybe like Man on Fire, a lot of his best movies out there aren't really that action packed. They're like set in action scenarios like Unstoppable, like taking a Pelham one, two, three, these types of movies. And what I think is really interesting is like Tom Cruise, when they made this, they didn't want to like glorify violence. So it's like, so what is Tony Scott great at? He's great at like these great character relations scenes. He's great at like hyping things up and making it cool, but he doesn't have to be like overly violent in most of his movies. So I feel like there's so many things about this that line like perfectly up with the type of movies that Tony Scott make. And and it's like a precursor to so many more things that he's gonna do in his career. I mean, I, I absolutely love Tony Scott and it's cool to watch him kind of evolve over the next 30 years of filmmaking. It's an amazing point. I, I don't think I've ever heard a more studious answer from you, Andrew Guy. That was incredible. <laughs> Are you reading off prompters? That was, that was amazing. It's it, 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 yes. So don't ask me any more questions because that's <laughs> I, all I, I won't written. ask you any follows. But but Ben, <laughs> as I kind of pin it over to you for your thoughts on Tony Scott as a director of all his films and particularly Top Gun. Andrew made the point that they didn't want to glorify violence necessarily in this movie. And they do tiptoe around it remarkably well because they couldn't put a lot of violence in here because the script had to be approved by the powers that be at the Pentagon. There's so mm. many movies. Officer and a Gentleman is one of them. Didn't cut the mustard. It, it was too much romance and too many shenanigans, I guess, going on in that film for the Pentagon to officially give it the stamp of approval. Top Gun got it. And I think that Tom Cruise and and the Department of Justice were like um, or the Department of Defense, I guess, were like, we don't want too much violence. We don't want too much actual bloodshed in this movie. But we did get an emotional sequence with Goose passing away and and it still hits home for me. So it, it, Tony Scott as a director, Ben Bateman, your thoughts. I mean, he's uh, he's arguably in my my five or ten favorites of all time. I've realized over as the years have passed how much affection I have for Tony Scott. And I think it's interesting. I, we've compared him on our podcast over the years to Michael Bay in a lot of ways because they have similar elements to their movies, but where they have very similar action. Their lighting is similar, but it feels like in a Michael Bay movie, he's got a big explosion. And then, OK, shoehorn in an emotional scene and it doesn't matter. <laughs> just transitions the action. It's kind of exactly the opposite with Tony Scott movies. And you notice it year over year. He gets better and better as his career goes on. It's like the most important concepts for him were always, uh, what's the depth of this moment between these characters? I'm going to make this a little longer. I'm going to make it a little melodramatic. And I think those are the things that make his movies so powerful to me. I've realized over the years, too, that I used to call them sort of ridiculous. I don't think they're ridiculous. I think they're some of the most rewatchable movies ever made. You know, he made five movies with Denzel Washington. You mentioned Pelham 123, Deja Vu, Crimson Tide. Even the bad, the worst of those five movies, which is probably Pelham 123, is super rewatchable. I mean, I love kind of almost every movie that guy ever made. I think he swings for the fences and you hear stories about him as a director really just being kind of a wild man. And I think you can you can feel it in some of his choices sometimes. But I think there's an emotional depth to the scene you're talking about with, you know, after Goose's death with with Maverick and Meg Ryan. 
And it's reflected in almost every one of his movies. You get some scene like that that really stands out. And and there's an emotional weight to his to his filmmaking that is the most endearing quality I think he has. Tony Scott fired three times from Top Gun at different points, but uh, he, he stuck on. Got it was like George Costanza, like he got fired, but he showed up for work the following Monday, and they let him keep his job, and we ended up getting the great Top Gun. Another moment that he directed in this film that's that's super emotional watching it, especially like I've seen this movie so many times, but it still gets me is before we lose Goose, when it's, you know, Mav is just being a hot shot and he went below the hard deck, which is, you know, below the altitude you're supposed to be at in training. And he ended up getting Jester. But again, he kind of cheated because he went below the hard deck. And so there's debate about whether Mav and Goose should still be in Top Gun. And then Goose comes over to Mav's place that night and uh, Mav is drinking again. And, you know, he's like, dude, every time I go up there with you, it's like you're flying against the ghost because, you know, Mav somewhere is still missing his daddy, Duke Mitchell, who was maybe the best pilot that ever lived. And so it really gets you. It, it really still gets you to this day. But the most emotional impact in this movie is when we lose Goose and then we see it. Meg Ryan plays his, uh, his, his young wife in there. He's got a kid. My question to you fellas is this. And we haven't seen Top Gun Maverick yet. None of us. At some point, does Maverick hook up with Meg Ryan's character? Does <laughs> does Mav sleep with Goose's wife? You set that up for such a different question than I thought you were going to ask. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't think he does, man. I think that's probably uh, territory you do not cross. That's below the hard deck, if you will. I disagree <laughs> with you on that one. I think there's going to be. I think there's going to be a a, a sequence. I wouldn't even be surprised if Maverick ends up with her. I don't just, you say sleeves with her, but I think, I mean, I just think that there's a grieving process. They both love this person they lost. I could easily see, you know, Mav has to grow up. You know, he helps. I, I don't know. I think maybe they end up together, honestly. All right. Well, I'll tell you this. If the movie was directed by Michael Bay, that definitely happens. Why? Because we've already seen it and it's called Pearl Harbor. So this is a, a, a fun, a fun setup that, that we wanted to do as we give our last thoughts here on Top Gun before we transition to Mailbag. Producer Lucy had the idea of giving us a Top Gun quote that she wants us each to deliver. Top Gun is a very quotable movie along with its rewatchability. Those two tend to go hand in hand. So, Producer Lucy, you wanted to hear the line at the end that is when we're celebrating, when we won, the other side, in quotes, has been taken down courtesy of Mav and Ice's heroics. And this is when Mav and Ice finally embrace with everybody around them like we just won a championship. That's the line you want these fellows to read? Yeah, the one where there's the most sexual tension between Iceman and Maverick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so here's how I think we do it. I need I need Ben to prompt Andrew. So, Andrew, you're going to go first, and then Andrew's going to prompt Ben. So the prompt is obviously, you, you two know the line. I just want to see who's a better Mav and who's a better Iceman. So, Ben Bateman, okay. at your ready, give it all you got. So I'm saying to him, Maverick, you can be my wingman You can be my wingman anytime. Uh, you, yeah, you nailed Maverick it. You crushed says, it. Maverick says that to, yeah, you guys are cut. All right, back to one. Um, ben is going to be saying the line that Maverick, uh, that, that, that Iceman says to Maverick, and then Andrew yes. will reply with Maverick's retort. All right, all right. Ready? Here we go. Maverick, you can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be mine. <laughs> That's strong, pretty good. Strong reading. Pretty, pretty good. And and Ben with a very nice prompt for Andrew there. That's a good scene partner. All right, Andrew, now it's your turn. I'm not turn. as good and of an then... actor as him. So this is, I mean, he's, he's going he's gonna to outdo me on this All one. right. Uh... This is a professional actor we're dealing with, kids. Yeah. You're still dangerous. 
but you can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be mine. <laughs> oh, I don't know who won that, Lucy, because, okay. because ben, I'm... ben went up a notch. Ben went up in his register <laughs> as a trained singer to like, hit that uh, Tom to Oprah, Oprah Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to cast, because I'm going to have to cast both of you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cast, I'm going to cast Ben as Maverick. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew is Iceman, but only because your Iceman, your Iceman is really good. <laughs> that was okay. amazing. And let's be honest, unfor- Andrew is much happier being cast as Iceman. I don't think there's any question about that. <laughs> oh, he's thrilled about it, and I guess that means that I'm either Hollywood or Wolfman because I'm the guy that they have to go pick up in the ocean to come back. It's like, hey, hey guys, guys, put a couple beers on ice for me because I, I got shot down, but but I'll be there in a couple hours. Don't worry like, about me. Yeah, yeah, I, I I love that, and I also love that Mav is waiting on the tarmac because he's he's pretty much the backup, and he has to go into the game to hit the game winning shot. And the way that they radio in that it's like time for Mav to go and take off because Highwood Wolfman got shut down. I do not know how pilots they have to rely on their instincts. You cannot understand a word that they that they are saying over that radio. No. I, it's just like Highwood Wolfman, and it's like I guess that means go. We take off now. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean that's uh, a language that I don't know. I, I can't understand it at all. That's what I have captions on for. <laughs> <laughs> well, you both are great at talking film, and this was a. Uh, just a uh, what a nice walk down memory lane, and uh, and as we look forward to Top Gun Maverick, I mean our expectations, no pun intended, are sky high about this, right, fellas? Ben, I know you you and I were talking. I get to see this movie as of the tape. By the time this episode comes out, I will have seen Top Gun Maverick. Wow. I'm seeing it this week. I'm seeing it on Saturday of this wow. recording. So I am oh, like, next week. it's going to be, you know how you, you get a free refill of large popcorn. I'm not relying on that. I'm getting two tubs to kick off. And then I'm going into the theater, <laughs> Ben Bateman, your expectations for Top Gun Maverick. You know, I, normally if this was any franchise other than one led by Tom Cruise, I would say I'm extremely skeptical. I think sequels that come this far, like this many years later, it's just, they usually don't work out. But there's something about this movie. There's something about the involvement of Cruise, the trailers I've seen, what I'm the buzz I'm hearing. I think this movie is going to be great. I like really think at worst, I think this movie is going to be highly entertaining. But I think this movie might actually just be great. There's so many choices that they made in this movie that I really love. Like, I think Miles Teller as a casting choice is phenomenal for that role. Yeah. I even like that, you know, so often you see a star like Cruz in their mid 50s and, and the female lead they cast in the movie is like 25 or whatever. Jennifer Connelly's like 50. I think she's close to she's within 10 years of Cruz's age. It's like feels age appropriate. It doesn't feel like a stretch that's silly to watch. Um, not silly, but just, you know, the Hollywood thing. I, there's a lot about this movie that I just really like the look of. And I also like that they waited for technology to catch up, which is one of the things I in, in that BTS segment that they showed where Cruz was like, I just didn't want to do this until we could actually make the, the, the Jets look way better, like make them look amazing. And I think it's going to be awesome for that reason. Yeah, it, it, so it's not going to be the mummy where it's like he's, go, he's dating someone fresh <laughs> out of college. So if that's... Uh, yeah. Good news, but I'm just fair warning to Jennifer Connelly. Uh, you never know when Meg Ryan could show up. So, um, Andrew <laughs> Guy, you're in the theater. You're about to see Top Gun Maverick. What's going through your mind? You know, it's it's fascinating because we listen to those uh, the reviews at the top of the show, and and I find them that those reviews haven't really aged well. And maybe it's because like the dogfighting now in 2022, when you watch an 86 film, isn't quite as impressive. We we've always said that the best moments in action movies are the moments in between the action. Well, with 
Top Gun Maverick, I think it's going to be a beautiful blend of both. I mean, you look at the behind the scenes stuff that they're doing, the, the camera work, the fact that they're actually in these jets, the actors are being their own cinematographers. That action is going to be absolutely incredible, breathtaking. But then you also have the fact that Goose's son is going to be there. So you're, you know you're going to cry. I, I just honestly, my expectations are through the roof. I think it's going to be really great. The only thing is that, you know, rest in peace. I wish that Tony Scott was directing it, but I think since he's going to do a good job. And what, I think a lot of the conversations that Tom Cruise and Tony Scott had leading up to Tony Scott's tragic passing were about Top Gun 2. So this does feel like sort of a nod to Tony Scott alongside a movie that we all anticipate is going to be a gigantic blockbuster and one of the highest grossing movies of the summer. On that note, I do have a trivia question about Tony Scott that we'll get to right after we read this mailbag. Hit us, Brian. Alex Hellier, the professor, strikes again with his year nine student. Uh, this is also titled M. So this is student M, but it's a different student M. If you listen to our episode that dropped yesterday, Return of the Jedi, that was also an M student. This is a different M student in Alex Hellier's year nine class. This whole class loves the show and we love them for it. They're fresh members of our catch up crew. Here is what this student M had to say. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Napoleon Dynamite is a great movie. However, it only has a score of 72%. Not only me, but many other people agree that it should have a higher score. It's filled with so much diversity, humor, romance, and altogether great characters. It's received many awards, such as the 2005 MTV Best Movie Award and the 2005 Teen Choice Best Comedy Movie. Since it has won over eight awards, and everyone I know who's watched it thinks like I do, it should definitely have a higher score. That is from M. Thank you for your letter M and uh, good luck keeping up those straight A's in Alex Hellier's class. Thanks to the whole classroom and Professor Hellier for being big supporters of the show. If you all want to write us, you can hit us up anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. That's where you can send your thoughts on a movie that you think Rotten Tomatoes got wrong. What movies do you want to hear us talk about? What movies that we have talked about? Do you have strong opinions about all of that and more? That's what our mailbag is for. And now, Parting is such sweet sorrow, but this is not going to be as sappy as when we throw the dog tags into the water. Ben, Andrew, you both love movie trivia. Ben, you're one of the best I've ever seen at it. Andrew, you're, you're the best at reading the questions. So <laughs> here is my Tony Scott trivia question for you both. Top Gun, still, and now always, will be Tony Scott's highest grossing film worldwide. What is Tony Scott's second highest grossing film worldwide? Can we work together on this or we're separate? You, you, you can talk it out if you want. You're you're the action guys. You team up. So uh, give me an answer. The two. <sighs> well, of Ben, you. I looked at the outline, but my memory is horrible. So <laughs> <laughs> I would Martin say Holmeyer not adjusted, not adjusted for the inflation. The, the ones that come to mind for me right off the bat, you got Crimson Tides, a big one, 95. Mm -hmm. But I think that the totals are going to be lower. Could be one of the later Denzel ones. Unstoppable of those would be the one. I don't think there's anything yeah. in the early 2000s. Um, Listen to how these guys just feel out an answer. This is this is chemistry. I feel like one of the things that we looked at when we studied Denzel was that his movies were never that big of blockbusters for some oh, weird reason. I I, will, I I like the idea of Crimson Tide. I feel like there's a sleeper in there that we're maybe not thinking of, but Crimson Spy Tide seems game like a good or something second. like that. Maybe mm, doubtful. All right. right? Yeah. This is how the schmodown works. I got to count you fellows down. Five, All right. Uh, I'm four. I'm okay with going Crimson Tide. Let's try it. Yeah. Two. All right. We'll, okay. we'll go we'll go Crimson Tide. Well, Crimson Tide got a big bump from the Ellis family because we saw that as a family unit when all the teenagers were fighting against each other. We all wanted to go see Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington. Andrew, as you pointed out, sweat their 
balls off. A lot of sweat. In a submarine. A lot of sweat. It makes sweaty me Vigo. feel sweaty vegan. Yeah. <laughs> about my own condition. If you ever seen me do anything, you know that I'm a sweaty guy. So Tony Scott making me feel more accepted in the world. The answer we were looking for. Beverly Hills Cop 2. Oh, of course. See, I knew there was a franchise we were forgetting that was uh, massive, right? I, I even that. said it. I was like, there's yeah. something huge. All right, I quit. 87. And yeah, rough. then you had Enemy <laughs> of the State, clocking in number three. Denzel's Enemies? highest uh, grossing movie with Tony Scott is ourselves. a little surprising yeah. because Deja Vu is the highest one, then Unstoppable, <laughs> then Crimson Tide. So mm. I know. saw Deja Vu in theaters. I contributed to that stat. I watched Deja Vu for the seventh time about three days ago. One of one of my favorites. <laughs> it may be the last VHS I own, and that's all thanks to uh, to Top Gun making it palatable for the masses. So uh, th- this was if there was an episode to have both you fellows debut on RT is wrong. This is the one. Thank you all so much for uh, uh, lending your talents to this podcast. Uh, where can everybody find all the stuff you're working on? I'll let y'all do it as individuals. So Andrew, why, why don't you kick off? I know you got a bunch of projects in the can. Uh, yeah, I got a couple movies coming out. There's one called A Bogota Trip. The other one's called Always Lola. So keep your eyes out for those. Uh, and then Ben and I do a podcast every single week, roughly. You know, we take, you know, sometimes it'll be every other week, but it's called <laughs> The Best and the Worst, where we take anything in film history, whether it's an actor, a director, or a franchise, and we rate the best and the worst of them. We recently did Guillermo del Toro. We're going to do Michael Bay. And I know that we're going to do Tony Scott when Maverick comes out. So, uh, yeah, check out The Best and the Worst podcast. And yeah, thanks so much for having us, man. This wasn't, this was an absolute blast. And Ben, you you just released a bunch of uh, a, a crop of new songs that sound great. I, I did. Yeah, I put my first song out back in April of 21 and I'm going on tour this summer. Those dates are available on the link tree in my bio. So follow me at Ben Bateman Media everywhere that I am. Uh, Drew mentioned the podcast that we do, The Best and the Worst. Uh, that's kind of my my weekly hour long movie talk. And I started posting these little minute long movie reviews on TikTok recently. So check that out as well. It's the same handle everywhere. So. At some point, I'm getting into the TikTok. I've just been resisting it as long as I can. So those are the action guys. That is Ben Bateman and Andrew Guy. Follow them across all social media platforms. As for me, upcoming tour dates, MarkEllis.Live. Thanks to everybody who came out. This is now this past weekend to the Netflix uh, Comedy Festival. I was uh, lucky enough to perform on a couple of those shows. And then we got some more dates coming up later this summer and early in the fall. Hook. Everybody is talking about Hook, including you folks who sent in your video responses to how you feel about Hook, one of Steven Spielberg's very few rotten movies. That Hook episode (laughs) is coming soon, but you still have time to submit your thoughts on Hook before we get it. Maybe you end up in an episode of Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Next week, I mean, Lucy, we may as well just have the action guys hang out for next week's episode, too, because we're talking about the films of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (sighs) It's your favorite oh, movie, not The Rock movie, which is Michael Bay's best movie. Your favorite Dwayne Johnson movie. We're talking about the best and the worst of The Rock. So we'll smell that cooking next week. In the meantime, you know what? I usually sign us off here by thanking producer Lucy and our engineer Brian Perez and the whole staff here at Rotten Tomatoes and you, the listeners, for rating, reviewing, subscribing, all that good stuff. But I think instead, let's give Ben Bateman another crack at singing like Tom Cruise in the bar to lead us out here. Ben, at your ready. Just pretend like Kelly McGillis is there at the bar. Andrew's right next to you. He's Goose. I'm Iceman in the corner, just paying attention to my vodka and nothing else. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. (laughs) Can I do it it worse than that, maybe? (laughs) A righteous brother. (laughs) That's going to do it for us here at Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. That's the worst Ben Babin's ever sounded singing. He's got some great (laughs) stuff up. Go check it out. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you all next week.